Well, as you would know by now, this is now our third sermon in the Fruit of the Spirit, where we're going through each of the nine qualities in the Fruit of the Spirit and talking about them at kind of a higher biblical level, where each, each sermon is just built on one word. And today, that, that word, that quality, is joy. And so as we're going to be doing each week, my, kind of my secondary goal is that we would all have the Fruit of the Spirit memorized by the end of this series. So I'm going to have us speak this out loud every week. And in a few weeks from now, maybe I'll start testing you. But let's just speak this together. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right, so we, we focused on love last week, we're focused on joy this week, and just a little bit of a trick to help you memorize this verse. This is in the ESV, and uh, this is the verse that I memorized. I like this uh, because it's actually uh, split up in syllables. So the first three are one syllable, the next three are two syllables, and the last three are three syllables. So if that's going to be a trick to help me memorize that, we're on our second uh, one-syllable word today which is joy. Now we're going to be taking a look at a number of scriptures today, again from a pretty high level, uh, and, and there's really hundreds of verses on joy in the Bible. We're just going to look at, at six of them today. Uh, but joy is, is kind of hard to define because we often look at joy through our own lens as people. We usually think of joy as happiness, uh, but it, it's quite different than that. And so one commentator gave this definition, which I really liked, and I think really wraps up a lot of biblical principle here, that joy is a persistent and unexplainable gladness of the soul that comes from seeking, knowing, and trusting the Lord. Joy is a persistent and unexplainable gladness of the soul that comes from seeking, knowing, and trusting the Lord. In short, joy is only found in the Lord. It only comes from, from knowing Him and seeking Him and trusting Him. And it really is this part that's, that's unexplainable. And it, is, it resides deep in your soul, this, this gladness. And when you look at the world at a, as a whole, you see that there's this obvious lack of that joy. You can turn on the news or scroll through the social media, and, and to this year, with it being a, an election year, there's going to be a lot of uh, contention and, and complaining and competitive nature of people, and, and inwardly, there's going to be a lot of people unfulfilled and discontent and depressed by all the things in the world. So if you're looking for joy in the world, the point is, biblically, you're not going to find it. It only comes from God, and it is a fruit of the Spirit, it is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So God wants you to be filled with joy as a follower of Jesus. And so as we look at this, there's three main points we're going to come to biblically of, of what we can learn about joy. And the first was kind of already mentioned here in the definition, that joy comes from the Lord. It does not come from ourselves. I'm going to have you open up to the book of Acts. This is, I'm starting with a lesser known verse here, and then we'll go to a better known verse. But Acts 13, to give you uh, kind of some perspective 
and context of what's going on through all of this is that Paul and Barnabas and his team went to Poseidon Antioch, which was kind of an unreached area with the gospel of Jesus. There's, there's a strong Jewish movement there. There's Gentiles who were involved in the Jewish uh, worship as well. But they were there, and as they often did, they hung around the synagogue where they were teaching, and they were invited up, Paul and his team were invited up by the Jewish leaders to share a word of exhortation to the people. And so they went on in kind of this long history all the way back to Egypt of how, where Jesus fits in into the story and, and gave this call for all of them to, to follow Jesus as Lord and place their faith in him. Now, the Jewish leaders weren't expecting that. And so what happened was this great movement around the area where the, where the word of the Lord was shared uh, widely and many Gentile believers came to faith and Jesus, while most of the Jewish believers kind of rejected that. And essentially what happened was these Jewish leaders started a revolt and they got people kind of turning against Paul and Barnabas and his team and, and, and persecution started. So Paul and Barnabas kind of wiped, uh, the, uh, shook the dust off their sandals, so to speak, and they moved on to the next town. But then this verse happens at the very end of the of this story this is talking primarily about these Jewish or these Gentile disciples who placed their faith in Jesus. And it says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. These new, these brand new believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so what we understand here is that joy was given to them as a gift. These brand new believers that upon putting their faith in Jesus, when they received the Holy Spirit, they were also filled with joy. They didn't say, and now I'm going to be joyful, or now I found what I was looking for. It was, it was when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they're also filled with joy. The point here is that we don't discover joy, we don't create joy, we don't work towards this thing in our minds. Joy only comes when you place faith in the Lord. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're also filled with joy. Joy is a gift of God. In the same way we see this, uh, you go to John 15. This is now the, uh, the fourth time in the last 15. Five weeks I've had you turn to John 15, so you should have that one pretty well uh, creased open by now. But this is another verse we haven't touched yet in John 15. Again, this is the, the part where Jesus is talking to his disciples about he is the vine and we are the branches. And if we want to bear fruit, we need to abide in him. And shortly before this, a couple of verses before, Jesus is talking about how he gives us or he leaves with us his love so that we can love one another. And he concludes that by saying, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete or may be complete. And there's two important parts of this is that Jesus says it's his joy that he gives to us. When we follow him, when we seek him, when we know him and we know his word, that he gives us his joy. So once again, joy comes from outside of us. It's not from within ourselves. And then when his joy is in us, our joy is made complete. 
And, and the Greek word for complete really means perfect or perfected. And so if you're longing and you're seeking and you're wanting joy, the only way for your joy to be perfected is to receive the joy from God. Joy is only perfected when we receive the joy that he gives us. And that's the kind of the first important distinguisher here with joy is, is again, we, we confuse joy with happiness a lot. And we, we make them into the same things in our mind. And, and both of them are positive emotions. And there's a lot of overlap between the two. But they are actually very different concepts. Joy and happiness. See, happiness is rooted in ourselves. And, and happiness isn't necessarily a negative thing. But if it's all you're pursuing in life, then you will be left empty and wanting. The word for happiness is rooted in the English word Hap, which literally means chance or luck. It also makes the word happening or happenstance. If something is by happenstance, it means it just sort of happens by chance. And so literally, happiness means how you feel when what you define as good happens to you. And the problem is what we define as good is very different from one another. It's also very different over the course of our life because what makes you happy now probably won't make you happy later. What, what makes you happy makes, doesn't make me happy. And so it's this idea, it's really rooted in yourself and what you determine to be good. But joy, on the other hand, comes from knowing God who is good. Okay, happiness is in what you believe to be good. Joy is knowing God who is good. And that means that joy is sustaining rather than fleeting. Joy does not evolve in our lives. Joy is constant in the source. Joy can't be found in anything besides the Lord. It's not found in earthly things or pleasures or pursuits. Joy is from the Lord, and it's a gift that he gives to you. As soon as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are filled with joy. And as long as you keep pursuing and seeking God, he'll continue to give you that joy. So what we see through all of this is, is that joy itself is a relational quality. It is not a circumstantial quality. And we're going to turn uh, forward in your Bibles to James chapter 1. Again, this is, this is a well-known verse we're going to look at, and then we're going to look at a lesser-known verse in the Old Testament. But James chapter 1 is one that we've heard many times, but I think we often misunderstand. Whereas James the Apostle starts the letter, he says to the readers, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. When you stop right there, it doesn't make sense what he's saying. Consider it joy when you face all sorts of terrible and difficult stuff in your life. And so to understand this, you first need to understand joy, as we talk about it. It is built on relationship with God, but then you also need to understand trials, and you need to understand God. All right, so trials are a part of life, and unfortunately, they do not go away with your faith. 
And I wish I could tell you that when you put your faith in Jesus, that everything becomes easy. And there's no more hardships in life. And you're going to have a hundred friends and you're going to have a hundred million dollars and everything will be great. I wish I could tell you that, but I can't because it's just not biblical. And what we understand is that trials have specific purpose in your life. So you have to have correct expectations of trials when you become a believer. They don't go away, but they're reshaped and they're repurposed. What we see here is that trials have the purpose of of leading you to a place of testing or improving or strengthening of your faith, which leads you to a place of perseverance, which is your strength, which then leads you to a place of maturity. And again, that word completeness or perfection, that you're not lacking anything, that there's a contentment in your life. The only way to be made into a stronger Christian and and have a mature and perfect faith is through trials. And you have to understand and accept that as a believer, trials will be a part of your faith. So you understand God is that in his sovereignty and in his benevolence that he can use even what people determine for evil, he can use that for good that God uses all of these things together in his wisdom and his love. And that's why then we can count it or consider it a joy as we face these things. And the word there to start out verse 2, consider or count, is actually an accounting term. And it means to kind of count everything up from both sides of the ledger. Like the pros and cons list of your life. When you're going through a difficult thing, look at the big picture. Don't just focus on the negative things, but then focus all the positive things in your life and and the perspective that God is going to work all of these things together for a reason. And when you do that, when you have that relationship and that trust with God, then you can count it or consider it pure joy, even as you face trials. Because even though hardship is present in your life, God is not absent in your life. There's a relationship there that brings you to joy. Joy is not oblivious to our emotions. Okay, and this, the, 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 the text here is not saying, stop being sad. Stop grieving. Stop being confused. There's really real emotions that accompany us through trials. I know there's many people going through difficult things now and in your recent past. We're not to suppress that sadness and that sorrow because that's not healthy or necessary. You understand that these moments are tough and difficult. So joy is not oblivious to our emotions, but it's not governed by them either. That even in the worst and the most difficult moments of life, you can still have joy knowing God and knowing that he's good. There's a similar idea here all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk. Some of you say Habakkuk. Now, I preached through this book about four years ago, and we went through this, and you can, as I concluded, you can keep calling it Habakkuk, but it just means you're wrong. (laughs) Habakkuk, Habakkuk, 
however you want to pronounce it. This book is not very well known, but kind of the overall view of this is that this is a man, a prophet of God, who's really grieving over the nation of Israel because they have wholesale just walked away from God and everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes and he's seeing the doom and the destruction that the people are bringing upon themselves. So he's, he's pleading with God to turn this nation around, to turn his people around. And God basically says, yes, I will. And I'll do so by allowing the terrible, barbaric Babylonians to come in and decimate your people and carry them away. This huge trial and calamity that's going to come upon the people of Israel. And Habakkuk is kind of like, well, hold on, that's not, that's not what I said. And so he's wrestling with God through this whole book and asking a lot of tough questions in this back and forth. But finally, he comes to this place of peace where he accepts what's going to happen. And the verse before this says that he's going to wait patiently for the calamity to come upon the Babylonians for what they're doing. They're going to have to answer to that too. But then he, he, he really reflects here. And he says, Even though the fig tree does not bud, there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. And, and this is now um, like 4,000-year-old language. Basically what it's saying is, even though everything is going to be as bad as it could be, and this is the most terrible, no good, very bad day I could ever see coming, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will be joyful in God, my Savior. This is the place that the prophet came to after God gave him an insight of all that was going to come in the future. And he hasn't started the trial yet, but he knows that he and his whole, all of his people are going to go through incredibly difficult things. And yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will be joyful and God my Savior. It was not circumstance that determined his joy, it was his relationship with him, because he has, he goes to say in verse 19 that the sovereign Lord is his strength. Joy becomes our strength to go through the most difficult situations, because joy is built on relationship and not on circumstance. I know there's many of you that are going through difficult things in life, and there's, there's this, this you know, question of why this and why now and what's next, and I encourage you through all of that to see the trials for what they are. It's an opportunity for your strength to be built and, and strengthened and to grow and to come to a place of maturity, and so have joy in that moment. I'm going to invite um, someone up right now who had gone through a, a difficult moment, Amy Van Hall. Uh, had shared with me a couple of weeks ago everything that had been going on in her life and her trials. And, and she has a testimony she wants to share with you that she found joy and she found peace through all of that. So Amy, if you could come up, I would like to have you share that testimony now. Morning. Um, as many of you know, I've been sick for a very long time, and I've struggled with a couple autoimmune disorders that have been incredibly debilitating. Um, a lot of you have prayed for me over the past few years, and I can't thank you enough for all your prayers.
there have been many times over the past few years, many moments, I thought my time here was up. In the last two years were especially hard. I had developed debilitating and sometimes quite frightening neurological symptoms due to the brain inflammation the flares caused. I was down to about five foods I could eat without risking anaphylaxis or an equally fatal and unpleasant intense immune response. And I had to take several meds before even attempting to eat, only still to get sick, often followed with debilitating neurological symptoms. It was a series of a lot of what appeared to be dead ends. But God is absolutely faithful. And he has met me in so many ways in these trials that at times have been indescribable. He repeatedly met me in my suffering with a profound awareness of his presence, a sense of comfort and peace like nothing we could experience on our own. He has met me with strength in every way when I had nothing left, pressed well beyond my limits. In Psalm 23, David wrote, he restores my soul. And I learned what that meant as God sometimes in an instant ushered in a deep abiding joy and peace a profound comfort that made it as though none of what I had just intensely suffered mattered. The weight of it all, the intense fatigue and grief, any fear, anxiety, unrest was it, from it was all just gone, a sense of total restoration and refreshment, a sense of encouragement that there is no way I could have mustered or found in any way myself. I have been in a place where doctors could no longer intervene. A couple years back, I even started reacting to all critical care and emergency treatment options. So it was up to God if he wanted me to stay here. I lost count of how many occasions he met me with relief of critical symptoms that defied any medical explanation. A week before last Christmas, uh, seemingly out of nowhere, God totally healed me. <laughs> no more meds, no sickness. I can eat anything I want. It's an awesome, awesome blessing that words don't suffice for. But the greater work was what he gave me in the trial that before this blessing of total healing, God had brought me to a place of abiding joy in him, of contentment in his will, a profound sense of freedom that nothing in this world could compare to in knowing the total dependence we can have on Christ and are called to. It's about what he is able to do in us, his power and working in our lives. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the work God is willing and desires to do in each one of our lives. Whatever you're walking through now, whether it's trials or peace, look for what God is wanting to build in you.
knowing what I know now, having what God has given me through all this, produced in me, physical healing without this, as awesome as it is, would have been an empty shell of a blessing in comparison. Don't miss out on the work God is wanting to do in you. There is nothing in this world that compares to it. Amen. Thank you, Amy, for that. And uh, you know, it's a lot of courage to come up and speak. You did, an, you did a great job. And that's one of the great things about joy is that it's, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be expressed. And uh, we're going to talk about that moment. But I just want to piggyback up what you said. And if you're going through a difficult moment, a uh, difficult trial, just keep going and keep trusting because there's always going to be a time in your life in which you're on the other side of that trial, and you can see the whole perspective. So keep joy as you're going through it. And when you get through it, then rejoice. Rejoice. And as, as we clap for her, it's not that we're clapping for her. We're rejoicing in the Lord and his work for her. And this brings us to our third and our final point today, is that joy is meant to be expressed as believers, not just felt. No, joy is a feeling and an emotion, but it's meant to be outwardly expressed as well. And I could have picked about 100 psalms for this. Um, I picked Psalm 47 as one to kind of look at at this point. Uh, as, as we read here from the sons of Korah, kind of you know, setting the table as this, this psalm is opening. And it, it's written, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Clap your hands and shout to God with cries of joy. Now this is... This is expression. And maybe an ultra-modern translation of this would be to loosen up and look alive, people. Right? That there's, there's joy that we all have that, that needs to be expressed. Because it goes on to say after this in verse 2 that, For the Lord Most High is awesome. Clap your hands and shout because God is awesome. Right? And, you know, I've been at, like, Twins games where a home run is hit and I'm, like, high-fiving and hugging people I don't know a couple rows over. Imagine if, like, that was us as Christians. Like, yeah, God's awesome! You know? And there's this, this joy that just comes out of us. Joy is something we, we, we feel, but it needs to be expressed at the same time. And there's many ways you can do that. And last week we talked about love and how there's an inward and an outward quality where your actions are only as good as your motives, your motives are only as good as your actions. It's the same as true with joy. Your feeling is only as good as your expression. And we need to be people who are joyful, who, who rejoice in the Lord. It reminds me of a story that one of you shared with me a couple months ago, and I'm not going to reveal who it was, uh, but they, they said that they were in a church where a worship leader was, was kind of you know, going through the songs and next song, next song, and he took a moment... And he said, if you are all filled with the joy of the Lord today, then you really need to tell your face that. And it was a humorous moment that helped people to kind of relax a little bit and express their joy of the Lord. But, but here in our Minnesota Midwest culture, we're a bunch of frigid Scandahoovians who, who are kind of afraid to express ourselves 
But when you share your joy, it's multiplied. And that's the point, is, is we're meant to share what we have with others. And, and receiving the joy from the Lord and then not rejoicing is like getting a present wrapped up at Christmas and keeping it under the tree. We're meant to rejoice as people. And there's an old saying is that when we share our burden with one another, the burden is halved. But then when we share our joy, it's doubled. And that's why we're just going to end with this verse here today. And one, one final command that's so nice, he gave it twice. Paul, in the book of Philippians, as he's ending this and giving his final exhortations and instructions to the believers of Philippi, he starts with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. If you didn't get that, I'll say it again. Rejoice. And that's part of our testimony as believers is rejoicing, expressing our joy. And it takes intentionality. It takes effort, maybe even a bit of courage. But we rejoice our, way, our, our joys in, in a lot of different ways. We can also kill our joy in a lot of different ways. Now, Satan wants nothing more than to rob you of your joy, but if you're killing it, he's going to let you do the work yourself. You can be uh, reflecting on your salvation in the Lord. You can be praying and, and praising God for the many blessings in your life. You can be seeking him, and when you seek God with your whole heart, you'll find him. You'll find joy in that. You can walk in obedience in your life. And obedience brings us to a place of joy. And maybe it's sharing your faith or your testimony with others. And that's one of the great joys we had over this last year is, is hearing from well over 100 of you shared your stories with me of how you shared Jesus with others. And it was always filled with joy. And we partner with missionaries who work around the world who came and shared with us in this last year. And all of them come and they share with joy. And Carl shared this morning with joy. Amy, are you bummed that you shared or do you have joy that you shared? Definitely have joy. She has joy, she says. I didn't know how she was going to answer that. But <laughs> she has joy. There's, there's joy in sharing your faith with others. But, but joy itself is meant to be expressed. We're to rejoice as Christians. And in that, your joy is multiplied. Let's close in prayer today. Well, Lord, we just want to thank you for this gift that you give us, that we know, God, this comes from you and not from ourselves, and that this is something that's built on our relationship with you and not the things around us, that we can know that you, the Lord, are awesome and good. And God, I pray that we'd be a good steward of the gift you've given us of joy, that we can rejoice with our lives and be a living testimony to those around us. God, joy is, is a wonderful thing. And we know that it brings glory to you, that joy will bring us through difficult times, and joy will even minister to those around us. So God, I pray for us now as, as a church, as your people, that we would be people of joy, that we would rejoice always in you in every circumstance. And God, that would just multiply your blessings in our lives and in those around us, that you'd be glorified through that. So we thank you for this work, this great work that you're doing in us through the fruit of the Spirit. And God, I just pray that we would grow and that it would be multiplied in us through your power and for your glory. I pray all these things now. In your name, Jesus. Amen.